Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his looks for Damas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight, former press secretary, the Sean Spicer with debate reviews. Senior policy analyst for the Independent Women's Forum, Carrie Sheffield. An activated supermom, Jacqueline Toberoff. And he has the top five songs on iTunes without a record deal. Oliver Anthony in the spotlight. So live from Times Square, where the rich men are much further north of Richmond, here's that Kevin! All right, everybody, welcome. Glad you're with us on this busy Saturday. We've got a lot to get to, and I'm looking forward to a great show. You know that we are officially off and running now in the presidential race for 2024 because the first debate has come and gone, and it is important uh, to figure out what all that meant. So I thought, why not have some really unique perspectives from people that uh, you know have experience with such things? And I thought, uh, perfect, we'll just have uh, former Press Secretary Sean Spicer on because he used to set these things up. He knows about how to run them, and he knows what a headache it is. Uh, and then uh, from the female perspective, maybe Carrie Sheffield of the Independent Women's Forum, and maybe maybe just a working mom that just sees uh, how they interacted and it all went down. Uh, Jacqueline Toberoff will be with us a little bit later. She's actually not just a working mom. She's a super mom activated. That's the name of her book. So we'll get into all that. Um, and I, I, I mentioned this last week. I've got to mention it every week. Um, friends, we want you to come with us to uh, London and Paris. I mean, who's going to argue with eating great food in London and Paris and make a little stop at in, in Normandy in between? Uh, next June, we are going to take the, uh, the steps of the D-Day heroes uh, in the 80th commemoration of that liberation, we're going to start in London. We're going to go down to Portsmouth. We're going to go across the channel. We're going to land in Normandy, spend two or three days actually in Normandy. And we will be there on July 4th in the American cemetery on the 80th commemoration of the D-Day landing and the liberation of Europe by the American soldier. We'll be in the American cemetery on July 4th. What a special kind of sacred moment that's going to be. And then we're going to spend some time. Uh, we'll do some wine tastings. There'll be some other things that will go on in the Normandy area. And then we'll wrap up the trip in Paris where we will uh, see what the, the liberation of that city looked like. And we'll end on a beautiful night on the Seine River uh, having dinner on a dinner cruise together on the Seine River as we uh, go down the heart of Paris. It, it should be a lovely time. If you have not yet held your spot, um, we originally had 44 spots. There are now only 31 spots left, um, maybe 30 actually at this point. So we need uh, we need you to reserve yours. And by the way, the, the group that's doing this has done a bunch of these tours. They've got a bunch of them scheduled for next year. And this is the last one with any seats on it. And they've already had more than 1,000 people 
uh, try to take this tour. So if you want to come see uh, the uh, memorials of World War II, if you want to celebrate the 80th uh, anniversary of the liberation of Europe and the and the and really the freedom of the world, and you want to do that with me, then go to thatkevintour.com, thatkevintour.com, thatkevintour.com. And uh, put your deposit down. There's payment plans. There's plenty of ways to get this uh, taken care of. And it's not until um, late June next year when we leave. So you've got plenty of time to uh, plan for it. But go put your deposit down and hold your seat. Because once they're gone, they're gone and they won't be coming back. All right. Uh, I Believe it or not, even with the mugshot and the arrest and the debate, on Friday afternoon, this story came across my desk, and I thought, "This is what I have to. This is what I have to talk about this weekend on that Kevin show." Um, friends, we we've entered a period of time where there are signs all around us that the ones who wish our form of representative government, they wish it dead. In fact, they they hope that it won't survive this presidential term. Uh, Joe Biden starting to say the quiet part out loud, talking about uh, what a great day. Uh, it would be uh, for you to give money to his campaign. Uh, and he released that tweet at the very moment that Donald Trump was being uh, arrested in Georgia. At the very moment, he sends out a tweet and says, um, what a perfect day, what a great day it would be for you to give a donation to my campaign. How much more does that need to, for, to you know, can that sink in that for you to understand that this is a man who's prosecuting his political enemy, just like Marx or Stalin. And what he is doing at the end of the day is saying, um, those who really want to be on the inside, you really should give me money. And this is the extortion racket that the Biden family's been about. But now he's doing it in office. Now he's doing it with his, with his eyes wide open and the whole nation watching. If you want to be on my good side, if you want to be one of the good guys, give money to my campaign. But it's not just the administration. It's all of the left across the country. And there's two more stories I want to get into. Uh, one is in Montgomery County, Maryland, where this week an Obama appointee judge made the determination that parents who are uncomfortable with what is going to be taught in their school this year, this fall, just a couple of weeks from now, they are not allowed. Listen to this. Listen very carefully. Stop doing whatever else you're doing and listen to me on this. The parents that are concerned about what I would consider to be pornographic and inappropriate material being brought into the elementary school that their children attend were told by an Obama-appointed judge that they are not allowed to exempt their children from the classes where the material will be covered. Now, just who the hell does this judge, do these teachers, do the superintendent at that school think they are? I don't care if it's about LGBTQ stuff or if it's about pickup trucks. If I don't want my child to be there in attendance on that day to observe whatever you're teaching them simply for no reason at all, because I'm the parent, I have the right to do that. You have zero rights to my child's mind, heart, body, and custody. And the real insidious thing about this is that the superintendent defied these parents fought them hard. When they took it to court, um, I'm sure that the parents thought, surely the court will find reasonableness in this and, and that they, they will side with uh, a parent's right to determine their child's uh, future. No, 
The judge didn't. Now, is this going to go on appeal? I hope so. Will it go up the chain? I hope so. Can we get a Supreme Court precedent from this? I don't know. Maybe. But by the time all of that happens, do you know how much time we have lost in the process? This is, this is, I don't care what other issue you have on the ballot this year. This is an issue that if you don't see the difference in Joe Biden and his administration and Donald Trump and what he and his judges and his appointees will do for the future of your children, for the future of the welfare of your family, just for the ability for you to say what you want your kids to be involved in, you need to vote and you need to vote against the group that is doing what that judge did. And that's the current administration. There's one more story I want to get to, and it's um, it's it's kind of similar in form, um, but you'll see you'll see the um, the general idea here, and it has to do with um, parents being told that they couldn't walk into their local public school. Uh, this was I don't have the the town uh, in front of me, but there were parents that had problems with what was going on in their school. Their children had said, you know, we're not comfortable. This doesn't seem right, blah, blah, blah. So the, the mom and dad show up to see for themselves what's what's going on. They were told by the school that unless they signed an NDA, they would not be given access to the school. Think about that. A public school that claims the best welfare for your children won't let you see your child unless you agree not to tell the public what you observe them doing with your child when you go in? As I said before, who in the hell do these people think they are? As far as I'm concerned, there, there are many issues on the ballot by which we need to be uh, voting this coming uh, election. But in terms of the rights of parents and the rights of children to have the innocent childhood that their parents want them to have, there is no bigger issue on the ballot than what's going to happen in these school boards with these judges and the judges that need to be appointed to replace the ones that are, that are creating these problems. Friends, it is an anathema to everything that America stands for to watch these freedoms be slipping away. And not really slipping away. Joe Biden looking you in the face, laughing at you, saying... Today would be a good day for you to give me some money. I'm Kevin McCullough. We've got a big show for you. And Oliver Anthony, you know that singing sensation with the funny little exciter guitar? He joins us tonight. From New York, it's that... I knew it. Ah, come on, Kev. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right. uh, Very glad to have you with us and very thankful to have some really good expertise to evaluate the debate and the non-debate that took place this week. Uh, My next guest is someone who not only was responsible for setting a few of these things up, he's probably very glad that he's no longer responsible for that thing. Sean Spicer, former White House press press secretary for President Trump, and before that, uh, press secretary at the Republican National Committee. Sean, it's good to have you back. Always good to be with you, Kevin. Uh, Yeah, you're right. I was glad to be an observer. 
and and not have uh, sort of having to, to worry about the logistics. It was fun. I was there, as you know, for my new show, the Sean Spicer Show, which is uh, on iTunes and YouTube. But it was fun to be able to cover it. Yeah. Uh, and and we broke it down this morning in Milwaukee with with a bunch of the top operatives that were there. Uh, which was kind of cool because I got to ask the questions instead of being on the receiving end. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's let's do a couple of things here in our time together. First of all, um, what I am discerning from some of the people that I'm speaking with is that the performance of Vivek Ramaswamy, depending on your age and station in life, came across very differently. Ed Morrissey, you, of- nailed, it. you nailed it. it. It's it's amazing. I mean, I've had this discussion twice, and you nailed it. Uh, that's exactly what's happening right now. It depends on who you are, how old you are, where you live. I think mainstream kind of establishment types think he kind of seemed like a kid that didn't really, you know, was just kind of punch drunk, didn't really know what he was doing. And I, what I'm hearing from millennials and younger is that his concise, to-the-point answers were things that they're looking for. His not being owned by a donor is kind of uh, an attractive quality. And in some ways, he was the most Trumpian of all of the the people that were on the stage last night. Absolutely. Yeah, it was the outsider. The guy, as you said, you said, I, I'm not a politician. And ironically, I think that's what a lot of folks want right now. And that's, I mean, that, that's, it's the younger Trump version um, of... You know, the thing that was interesting is he was playing that role, but you obviously Trump wasn't on stage. So there's a lot of question about what would have happened if, if Trump had been there and actually been like, hey, I'm the guy that can actually that did that. I'm right. still the outsider. But you're right. He, he played that role. I think for a lot of older Midwesterners, uh, especially people who go to the caucus, I will be interested to see um, how they interpret what I think a lot of people are saying with a lack of respect. That doesn't mean that you couldn't play the role of the outsider, but I think calling the former vice president, Mike, 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 uh, might have gone over a little, you know, disrespectful to some older establishment types. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I think what you, what, I think what we are watching happen, Sean, and, and it's a combination of factors. It's Vivek in the debate itself. It's Trump forgoing the debate and having 200 million viewers of his uh, interview with uh, Tucker Carlson simultaneously. There's a new landscape. Your, your new television show is exclusively on uh, online outlets. The, the, the world is getting its information and watching this stuff in very different ways than it was before. And on top of all that, I, I saw some stuff from my friend Steve Dace and Bob Vanderplatz in Iowa this week that said, you know, Iowa's wide open and, you know, that everyone's going to have to earn the vote. And I'm thinking to myself, but Trump lost Iowa in 16 and he won the presidency and he won it in 20 and lost the presidency. What kind of upside down topsy-turvy universe do we live in, Sean Spicer, that you can pretty much throw out all of the traditional ideas and it might not matter until we actually get to election day? Yeah, well, I mean, the answer is I don't know because of what you're exactly talking about, right? I mean, you think about the places that we're getting our media from. This is part of the reason I joined independent media is because I don't want to be bound by a corporate entity that can tell me what to put on or when to do it. And so we just literally taped the Sean Spicer show for today. And like I said, uh, you can get it on iTunes, you can get it on YouTube. But the point is, is that I don't, I don't feel bound to uh, a network right. or an outlet. And, and so I can talk to the guests that I want about the subjects that I want. Um, you're watching, you know, stations and outlets proliferate. I mean, the Daily Wire, the first, all of these things are, are moving because people are saying, you, I'm not, my questions, my thoughts, my priorities, my ideas aren't doing this. And then you get a guy like Ramaswamy who's saying, I'm 38 years old. I've never been part of this before. And yet he's number two in the polls, right? 
people, the, the traditional grip on things is gone. And I think whether it's media or social platforms or candidates, it's the, the norms that bound us are continuing to get pulled apart, started with Trump, and it keeps unwinding. I think that's one of the reasons why no matter how much Chris Christie or Mike Pence or to some degree even Nikki Haley flailed last night, they just they weren't able to land uh, any of those uh, real championship blows. Somebody who needed to, and in my estimation did not, was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I don't think he had a bad night, but in terms of the distance between him and uh, President Trump right now, he has an, a gargantuan chasm to, to cross, and I think that Trump last night by not being there and doing his separate interview, I think he's distanced himself from the pack a little bit more. You probably didn't get to see it until after you got back to your hotel room, but what did you make of the, he's, he's, his interview with Tucker reached more viewers than all of the debates combined in the 2020 cycle. Yeah. But that was the point of it. Right. And that's the nut of this, which is that last night's debate was a great show. I don't think it moved the needle with anybody. Um, in a substantial way. Trump's going to continue to lead by 50 points. Last night was more, I mean, remember, it was a taped interview. This was about making sure that everybody understood, hey, I'm still in charge. I still command the biggest audience. You guys go have fun doing what you're doing. And, and the point was made, you know, uh, the largest debate prior to, you know, we don't have the numbers today, but it was 17 million in 2015. Uh, you know, within the first two minutes, the, the interview on uh, Twitter had, tens of millions. Right. Um, and, and so, look, the world is upside down. Trump is still the injured of pound gorilla. And I think one of the things that, that I will harken back to how you started this with respect to Ramaswamy, there were different audiences. Last night, DeSantis was playing big donors that are funding a super PAC and saying, stick with me, keep sending me money. I just need to keep going. Um, and and that's, that's the difference is there were different audiences digesting the debate last night. Did Vivek uh, get a job in the uh, future Trump administration last night? Sure. I talked to Don Jr. right after the debate. I talked, they were all speaking highly. I think he likes it. I just don't know that Vivek wants one, but I mean, I, you got a guy that just built billion dollar companies. Does he really want to go in and run the Department of Commerce? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, but, and I also don't know that he wants to be a number two, but look, stranger things happen. I was part of the Trump administration. We had a lot of uh, folks from, different backgrounds that shook things up. Maybe he does. I think he'd be great in government uh, for a, a certain roles. But uh, but the, the again, the one other thing is that we're way early. This is still preseason, man. You know, we're I don't think we're, we're five months away from the Iowa caucuses on January 15th. Uh, we got another debate coming up January on, on September 27th at the Reagan Library. Trump will not be there for that. You can take that to the bank. But I think these guys are continuing to inch forward. I think the field also got winnowed last night. Asa Hutchinson and Doug Bargum, uh, I, I don't think are going to see the stage. Yeah. I, 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 I do think that Chris Christie, uh, you know, is going to have a hard time moving forward because I, I don't think even the kamikaze mission that he was on really landed last night. Even with the the, the never Trumpers, I, I just don't. I don't think he had the opportunities that he was hoping for to get those one liners across. Yeah, no, I think that you're exactly right. Sean Spicer, appreciate your analysis. You uh, served our country quite well and the uh, administration of number 45. And I'm grateful to have you in the media speaking truth to power as often as you can and now in an independent way. Thanks for being with us. Well, thanks, Kevin. I always appreciate your friendship and support. You got it. Kevin McCullough coming right back from New York. Don't go away. Ready or not, he'll be right back. 
back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. All right, ladies and gentlemen, very pleased to welcome back uh, to the Kevin McCullough microphone my next guest. She is a senior policy analyst for the Independent Women's Forum. Please welcome Carrie Sheffield. Hello, Carrie. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. It's always good to talk to you. Um, This week, the debate and the interview that uh, President Trump conducted kind of went off simultaneously. Uh, I think it was within the first five minutes of the broadcast on Fox News that Trump had already crossed five, six million viewers on Tucker Carlson's channel on X. And I think that uh, it was off to the races. Um, By the next day afternoon, there were well over 212 million people that had viewed that interview. I'm just curious, in your overall sense of election cycles and debates and how it all plays. What what were your general impressions of the debate this week? I think overall, I mean, Trump is a mold breaker, obviously. So he broke the mold when it comes to debates. I've never seen anything like this where the front runner refuses to come on stage, but he's that much far ahead where he has that leeway to do that. Uh, and that's what I thought was interesting because it strategically just the upside versus the downside potential for him to be on that stage to allow someone like Chris Christie or Asa Hutchinson to try to go after him, it didn't look like it would be empowering for him. And so I I completely understand why he did it. Um, I would personally put the caveat on the number of views. Those things can be fudged a little bit. Not to mention how you mark, you know, measure and how long are you talking about a half second view versus, you know, Nielsen has a much more standardized uh, rating system. So I'm not as convinced on that, especially because algorithms can be sort of, as we know, uh, for better or for worse, manipulated. Um, so I, I don't know what the true figure is in terms of impact compared to a traditional broadcast viewer, but clearly there was a massive appetite for what President Trump had to say. So I think overall, President Trump was the winner of the night. Uh, And then as far as the debate is concerned, though, I think Vivek Ramaswamy was the winner on the stage. And I've been following him for a while. uh, And full disclosure, I actually put money on him, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago on the predicted markets. um, (laughs) Because I just, you know, we've known him at Independent Women's Forum. We gave him our Gentleman of Distinction Award last fall. Um, uh, Just I've been so impressed with him. I think he is truly a mold breaker, kind of like how President Trump is a mold breaker. Uh, So I wasn't surprised to see. I I was shocked in the sense of how much Ron DeSantis was untouched, even though he's nominally the front runner, and it's how they were all going after Vivek. It really, to me, became a, a, a battle between establishment versus insurgent in the case of Vivek. Yeah, uh, essentially Trumpism, uh, because his policies seem to uh, very much reflect that of President Trump. And he's made the kind of strategic decision through all of the indictments to rally to Trump's side and to condemn uh, the Justice Department and the prosecutors very, very strongly from the campaign trail. His his fellow running mates have not uh, uh, seen uh, their way as clear to do that, especially as forcefully as he has. He's called whole, whole press conferences just to condemn the indictments against uh, President Trump. Um, I am curious, and I, I'm f- pretty familiar with the Nielsen uh, process and uh, the, the the way this is calculated. I, I do I, – I, you know, it's interesting because my bride and I sat in the living room. We started the debate jumped over to the Tucker interview, watched that in its completion, went back and 
finish the 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 um, the 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 hard drive recording for the uh, debate. I watched both fully, um, but we only got one credit in the uh, watching the interview section because we had it up on the screen. We were both in the room, whereas um, you know the Nielsen recorded that as a household, and I, I think. I'm gonna I'm gonna just disagree slightly with you. I think I think it's a pretty uh, on target uh, type of measurement. And when you think about the opportunity, even if it's just raw views, to put 200 million eyeballs plus uh, onto your message for the night without having Chris Christie nipping at your ankles. I mean that that's that's a stroke of genius. I think in in this day and age. It was, I mean, absolutely disruptive. And I mean, I guess the other flip side of what you're saying, though, is like, what if I get my phone, my laptop, my iPad, is that three views versus <laughs> right. I'm one person? So that therein lies sort of the black box of, of metrics. And, and we know the dark arts of, it, you can put that in any medium in that way. Um, but but I, I agree on principle, though, that what Trump did was, very innovative, and it is it is where the future is. Uh, yeah. That that people are cutting the cord. The um, networks are not going to be nearly as important four years from now, and I, they're going to be less important this year than they were four years ago. She's Carrie Sheffield. I'm Kevin McCullough. We're coming right back. We've got a lot more to get into. I want to know um, how you rate the discussion about all of the issues as women saw them last night. Stay with us. Ready or not, we'll be right back. Times Square, Kevin McCullough, always pleased to have you with us. Uh, it was a big night. Uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, Carrie Sheffield from the Independent Women's Forum. What happened to DeSantis? Why did he just kind of go invisible last night? So my theory on that, without any inside knowledge, is that he felt, I think, a little bit boxed in because of what happened with the leak of, of his this campaign memo from the PAC, because that memo said, hammer Vivek hammer this, hammer that, go on the attack dog, be an attack dog. So he was kind of constrained that if he actually did any of that, whether or not he was planning to do that on his own, separate from the pack, then Vivek would bring up the document, which he did not. Nobody else brought it up on stage either, in part because I think he felt like he couldn't, that if he did, he would then be accused of being that puppet of the pack. Uh, but in but death, everybody else got the memo and carried it out because it was pile on Vivek all night long. Yeah, and that's and that's where I think it really became uh, Vivek as the torchbearer for Trump. That it really became establishment versus insurgent again, in the same way that Trump did that in 2016. VP material. It, well, it's funny to see him say, "Oh, I would never do that. I'm only running for first. Of course, he has to say that. But I just I have a hard time thinking he would say no to the fact that he could be one heartbeat away from the presidency. So I, I think he would be a fantastic VP. The other other possibilities if he says no is if he is the czar of government deforestation, uh, basically, and, and trimming all of, of the fat in the bureaucracy. Maybe that's his special role. I don't, I don't know. That's the only other role I can think of. But why not have that just be the VP? Yeah, no, that could be, well, and we can give the VP any job you want because they don't, you know, to quote Hamilton, have a real job anyway. Um, <laughs> So the idea that um, these candidates were trying to connect with different audiences, uh, 
You know, I thought Nikki Haley had a couple of shining moments. I thought she and Tim Scott actually represented South Carolina very well. Um, I don't think either one of them have a shot, particularly of winning South Carolina, because they cancel each other out in their home state. And that is the all-important third primary that whoever wins it for the Republicans becomes the nominee for the party. Um, but overall, the women's issues and what moms and women are looking for in the 2024 not just candidate, but president, did you see it represented either in Trump or in the uh, men on the stage last night? Man. Well, I think I think in general, from a policy standpoint, any of those candidates would be, and more importantly, the people they would bring into the White House with them would be light years ahead of who's there now. Correct. So in that respect, hands down, it was a win on the policy front as far as moving things more in a freedom direction. I did appreciate that Nikki Haley talked about you know, the 30 trillion in debt. And she said, we need an accountant in the White House. Uh, it was interesting to see a focus group. I know it's not scientific, but uh, in it, but it was CNN. Uh, they had a focus group of Iowa Republican primary caucus voters. Uh, and they, the first place winner was Vivek and second place was Nikki. Um, and so I, I agree with you. I think she had some strong moments. Uh, I think the, uh, she brought up and uh, Tim Scott, actually, I think it was Tim Scott that brought up uh, if you're born a male, you compete against males in sports. That's what you do. That's how I was raised. And that's a key issue for us in an independent women's forum and the legislation we're pushing forward. We just got signed into law with Governor Stitt in Oklahoma, the Women's Bill of Rights that protects women's prisons, women's sports, women's shelters, just recognizes under the Equal Protection Clause that there are biological distinctions between men and women. It defines what a woman is. We answer that question, what is a woman? And uh, so I, Tim Scott, I was glad that he brought that up. I, I, I sense that the majority of the people on that stage probably agree, although Chris Christie has said some troubling things um, in the last year or so um, that just didn't seem to make any sense at all. And I understand why his ratings are higher amongst Democrats than they are Republicans at present. Um, what else do you think uh, people were looking for uh, from last night's debate? And do you think that the field has, or this week's debate, and has the field uh, willowed at all. I'm mean, winnowed at all. Have they? Have they? Are we will, will we not see all of those people back on the stage in September? As I understand it, the RNC is increasing the polling threshold. I think I think it was one percent in a certain number of national, and I, I believe it's going to go up to four percent. So I think from their perspective, they do want to winnow it. So I think we probably will. Probably the people on the wing. So. Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, uh, Burgwam, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, uh, gone, probably, most likely. Um, so, I, and I think that that's, uh, that's, it'll be, what'll be interesting is that even if they're not on the stage, they could still have the polling. So I, I don't think we'll necessarily have uh, them dropping out. Um, people are stubborn. And <laughs> so, so we'll see. But I, I think overall, it was definitely, like I said, a victory for uh, just making the case that anybody on there is a what way better alternative to Joe Biden. What did you make of angry Mike Pence? Now, I got to say before I let you answer that I have known Mike and advocated for him and uh, worked on his behalf from the time he was a congressman. I thought he was a wonderful congressman from Indiana. I thought he did a marvelous job as governor. Um, I thought he was a good vice president. I, I'm sad that he and uh, president Trump had a parting of the ways over January 6th and, you know, hurt feelings seemed to carry on and linger. Um, but I did not understand angry Mike Pence. He, that's never been his persona. 
Yeah. And, and just knowing what I know, I, I don't know him as well as you do. I, I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever met him. I know, I know some other members of his family, but um, it didn't fit who his persona is. And I think that that, that was this weird dichotomy because on the one hand, he was trying to preach the Reagan shining city on a hill. But then on the other hand, he's, he's trying to be Mr. Stop Cross, it, Vivek. Stop it. My, yeah. Like get off my lawn basically. And I thought that what I thought was the most interesting exchange between those two was uh, when Vivek was saying, you're using a 1980s songbook and America's not what it used to be in the sense that, it's true. Like I, I'm a grandma millennial. I like to joke. I'm on the older end of millennials. Millennials, Gen Z, like look at our mental health. Like we're this gender dysphoria stuff. It's mentally health. It's a mental health issue. Um, it's it's a cultural issue. The fact that it's contagion among these young girls who feel like they need they need the social validation, um, the spiritual decline, the lack of spiritual participation. Mental health is spiritual health, and Vivek. Ca encapsulates that so well in in a in a way that Mike Pence does. Mike Pence seemed to be in his in a bubble, and I, I agree the aspirations of Mike Pence was expressing is what we aim for. But I think Vivek is much more of a realist, and that's ultimately what I found in this intergenerational struggle was that Vivek seemed to be more mature because he was explaining the problem much more articulately than uh, and in with fewer words. You know, I felt like yes. Mike Pence was stuck in 1986 for some reason. Carrie Sheffield, always appreciate your hard work with the Independent Women's Forum, and thank you for spending some time with us. Kevin McCullough coming right back from Times Square. Don't Ready go away. We'll be right back. That Kevin. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Up until two weeks ago, nobody even knew his name, but then he was invoked this week at the debate. Ladies and gentlemen, Oliver Anthony. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for both pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame. What the world's got? Keep on kicking them down. Lord, 
it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me people like you wish i could just wake up and it not be true but it is oh it is living in the new world with an old soul these rich men know the rich men And then I don't think you know, but I know that you do, cause your dollar ain't it, and it's taxed to no end, cause the rich men, not the rich men. Selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay. The rich men north of Richmond. And as uh, Martha McCallum pointed out on Fox News at the debate this week, Washington, D.C. sits nearly 100 perfect miles north of Richmond. Kevin McCullough, we've got a big second hour for you, more uh, debate analysis, this time from a mom who's getting activated and trying to make the world a better place, Jacqueline Toberoff, and more from Oliver Anthony. He has a new single out in hour two. Get that as well. Stay here. Hey, get the soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music.